Number three this morning, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me there today. Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin reading verse number 12. Verse number 12 this morning. It says these words, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you all forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Be thankful. The Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord this morning. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that I have been giving, presenting this idea that Colossians chapter 3 and 4 presents to us a new way to live life in light of who Christ is and what He has done for us. Because of the fact that Christ is greater, He is the one who upholds all things, and through Him all things exist. And because of the fact that He has purchased us with His blood on the cross, we now have a new life that we can live. We are now to live a new reality because of who Christ is. And I made this analogy last week, and I think it fits, even though it may not be perfect. But of course, when you get married, you become one flesh. All right, that's what Scripture teaches us. A man will leave his father and mother, will join to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And and of course, this happens in the ceremony and the the physical act of marriage, if you would. But, But the truth is, that it's more than just a, a ceremony. It's more than just a physical consummation and intimacy. You don't become one just because you said, I do to somebody else. It is something that happens day after day as you live that reality in your life, as the choices and decisions you make in life are not based on me, but rather on we. And so even after 25 years of marriage, I find myself still needing to become one. Still struggle sometimes because there are things that I want that are what I want. Maybe it's not best for us. Apparently on cold winter nights, what I want is all the covers. I dispute that, but I get told that's what happens, I don't know. I'm usually nice and warm, so it doesn't matter. 
The point is, though, we, we are to become one with each other. Day after day, we are becoming in practice what we are in position. Okay, I'm one with my wife, and so I live that way. And the same goes with our relationship with God. We are a child of God. We are a new creation now. What Paul says, we are to now live this way. So who are we? Well, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 tells us, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Okay, we have received Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now we are to live in that reality. Verse 13 of chapter 2, again, you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, again, we who were once dead are alive. This is who we are. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. This, again, is who I am. I am alive. My life is in Christ. I belong to him. I am to walk in him. Now, in light of who we are, we are, we are called to live this way. This is how I am to live my life day after day, and this is what we have been talking about the last couple of weeks as we have looked at these imperatives that Paul has given us. Okay, verse 1 of Colossians 3, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind again on things that are above. This is the first command. I am to positionally, or I am to take my life and now begin to pursue and desire the things that are above, the realities of who Christ is. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, so verse 1, again, I am to set my mind on things that are above. Verse 5, as we talked about, put to death the things in our life that hinder our relationship with God. And now today in verse 12, a new imperative, a new command. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on then, okay? It's not, it's not just that we are to remove, to put off, even though that is critical. And many of us grew up in churches or environments where, where that's all we were told, don't do this and don't do that and don't go here and don't, don't, don't and all this other stuff. And, and some of it was very necessary, very important. But Christianity is more than just don't. It's also do. It's not just we don't do this. It's also that we do something else. Put on them. Dress, if you would. Clothe yourself. We go back to verse 10, and we notice we have already seen this phrase. Verse 10, you have put on the new self. You have clothed yourself. You have dressed yourself, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is telling us here we have put on a new self by virtue of our new life in Christ. The fact that we have been giving this new life 
we have put on this new self and now we are to put on these virtues, these traits that exemplify, that demonstrate the reality of this new life that we have. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We want to begin by asking the question, why, why we put on these virtues? Okay, why is it that we are to put on these things? You know, if you listen to productivity or self-help gurus or whoever, you know, they, they, they like to tell you that if you are going to make change in their life, you, you have to ask why. Why are you doing this? You know, you got up January 1st and you thought, well, I'm going to exercise more. Well, that's great. It was fine on January 1st, and then January 2nd, it was cold, and you had to go to work, and so you forgot about it. All right, then the, the point is you got to do more than just say, I want to exercise more. you got to have a reason why. Why do you want to do that? Okay, I want to get my finances in order. Okay, why do you want to get your financial house in order? You have to have a reason. Because I want to leave an inheritance for my children because I don't want to have to move in with my child when I'm old. Or they don't want me to move in with them. Whatever the case might be, I don't know what the situation. We, we do this. We have to have a reason why when it comes to these virtues that exemplify this new life, why should we live this way? Well, verse 12 gives us the answer. Put on then. It's God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Why do we live this way? Why do we put on these virtues? We do because we are God's chosen ones. We are holy. We are beloved by God himself. The reason we live this life is because of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. This is all the reason you need is because of who you are in Christ. Paul states in a different way in Ephesians, but, but look at what he says here in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. All wisdom and insight. We don't have time to go through those verses, but, but do you see those words that Paul uses there? He has blessed us in all the heavenly places with spiritual blessings. In love, he has predestined us the praise of his glorious grace. God has lavished on us. 
God has richly poured out to us. What God has given to us is so wonderful, so far beyond our comprehension, so far beyond our ability to put in adequate words. The idea that we are holy and chosen and beloved by God, these are thoughts that if we really dwelt on them would make our mind explode at the magnitude. Who am I that the highest king would die for me? Who am I that the the king of all creation would dare to look down on someone such as you and I? That old song at the cross says that he would die for such a worm as I. People like to take that out. Well, that's kind of derogatory. And yes, we don't intentionally want to offend people when they come to church and say you're nothing more than a worm. but, But it's reality. I mean, even as we sung this morning, we are nobodies. We are nothing compared to God. We are nothing more than a grain of sand. Yet God has chosen us. God has poured his love on us. N.T. Wright says about this word, verse in Colossians, Christian are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. God has assured them in Christ that their membership in this people, they're being set apart for his service which is what the word holy means, depends not on their goodness, but on His grace. Not on their lovableness, but on His love. Ron was right this morning when he said we don't really think, we don't really dwell enough on this idea of grace. We think we deserve it. I mean, mean, I've been coming to church since the very first day they opened the doors here. Well, we're glad. We're glad to hear that. It's not because you've been, I I teach, I teach. I mean, I come to church when, when everybody else is staying at home. That's good. But that's not the reason you are a child of God. You are simply because he loved you. I often go back to what the Lord told the people of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 7. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people. For his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. Chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. It's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. We don't really grasp this thought, do we? God loves us. God has chosen us. God wants to lavish his grace on us. We don't experience sometimes in our life that kind of love. Maybe we have abusive parents, abusive fathers, people who have abandoned us. We think we have to earn to merit his love. But this morning, let me challenge you. Don't sit there and try to earn the love of God. Receive it. Receive it and live in light of God's love. And understand you are his child. He has chosen you. You are loved by God and you can live light of that great love. 
This is our why. This is why we put on the virtues that exemplify our new life in Christ. I think he gives us a couple other reasons, though, too. Verse 13, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. We also put on these virtues because we should follow Christ's example. Christ has forgiven us. And if Christ has forgiven us, should we not be willing to forgive someone else? It's a parable that Jesus tells us. We have been forgiven of millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And we don't want to forgive a guy who, who, who owes us five dollars. We sit there and we want to judge someone because of something little they have done to us. And we don't understand that what we deserve from God was eternal punishment. Jesus looked at us and said, don't worry about it. It's forgiven. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. We're holy. We're chosen. We're beloved. Christ has forgiven us. Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Why do we put on these virtues? It's, again, because of who we are. It's because of what Christ has done in forgiving us, but also because of the fact that we are called into one body. We are joined together as a church, as one. We are to put on Christ, and we have an obligation not just to the Lord, not just to ourselves, but also to each other, to live in a way that exemplifies who Christ is and what he has done for us. We have an obligation to each other. You have an obligation to me to, to live in such a way that I can look at you and see Jesus in your life, and I have the same obligation to you. We have been called into one body. We are one in Christ, and now we have the obligation to put on the virtues. Exemplify the children of God. So this is our why. Now we ask, what? What are the virtues we are to put on? Right, you remember this stuff from elementary school, right? Who, what, when, where, why, and How? Or did I get it backwards? I don't remember. It's been a long time. Okay, leave me alone. <laughs> what are the virtues we are to put on? Having received this command that we are to put on a new life, having understand why we are to put them on, we, we then ask the question, what are we to put on? Well, again, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, Patience, compassionate hearts, bowels of mercy, your Bible may say. Of course, the Greek word is literally bowels because back then they didn't know and understand the word hearts. They didn't have that word. I obviously, someone wisened up and said, you know, it really doesn't look good to, to give someone a set of bowels for Valentine's Day. Probably Hallmark did it. I don't know. 
But they use that talking about the very depths of your soul, the very depths, the things that flow from the depths of your innermost being. This is what we are to put on hearts of compassion, kindness. Kindness, the second virtue on this list, sometimes denotes God's own goodness, especially as it is expressed in his gracious acts. You know, Paul tells us in Romans, it is the kindness of God that leads us. It leads us to repentance. Romans 2 verse 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why are you here this morning? You are here because God was kind enough to give you an opportunity to repent and to receive Him as Savior. We don't think about it because some people, you know, it's their conversion comes when they're in a gutter, they're in a jail cell, or maybe you're in a hospital bed and you don't know if you're going to live to tomorrow. And you, you think it was this place of desperation when I called on God. But you also must realize it was God's kindness that led you there. It put you in a place where you would understand. God didn't have to do that to you. And yet he did. Kindness, humility, humility, understanding that that the world does not revolve around you. Meekness, patience, learning to bear with one another. Understanding that none of us are perfect. We are all going to mess up. The best thing we can do is exhibit patience. Forbearness with each other, forbearance. It's a hard trait to learn, especially in our world of social media and our world where we instantly, instantly cut someone off. I mean, if you, you put something bad on my social media post, I'm going to block you. Well, whatever. Probably the better thing to do is to demonstrate patience and forbearance with each other. I'm not talking about social media. The best thing you can do there probably is get off of it, but whatever. (laughs) And then, of course, the clincher, verse 14, and above all these, put on love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul said, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. The greatest of these is what love. Two great commandments, Jesus said, are love God, love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang everything else. So notice what Paul says about love above it all. Above it all. Put on. Put on love. Why? Because love is what leads to these other virtues, doesn't it? Love is what leads to patience, humility, or kindness. Love is what leads us to forgiveness. Love binds everything together. If we are to put on, which is verse 14 is continuing this theme from verse 12 of putting on these garments or clothing. If we are to put on these virtues, the biggest thing, the thing that ties it all together is love. The French phrase, the pièce de résistance, the chief, the most important dish, 
in a meal, the most important or exciting thing, we've made it often the last in a series, the thing, the thing that everything culminates. This is what love is to be. It's what binds everything else together, what binds a, a church together. There's a lot of things I'd like to see our church have, a lot of things I'd like to see our church do, and let me just say as a side here, it's not part of the sermon, but whatever. You know, if God is speaking to your heart about something, I'd like to see a, a ministry. I'd like to see something happen. If God is, is laying something on your heart, let me challenge you. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to David or Jim, the elders here. Let's, let's talk about it. But I will give you this caveat. If you say, I want, I want to see our church do this or that or the other, I feel like God wants us to do that. You know what? God is probably calling you to do it. See, what happens a lot of times is people say, oh, I want our church to do this, and they're saying, hey, I want somebody else in the church to do that. Maybe God is calling you. Well, I can't, I can't. Well, maybe God is calling you. But really, I challenge you to go read Moses being called by God. I read it. So last week as I was going through the book of Exodus, he made all kinds of excuses and finally said, somebody else do it. God said, no, I've called you. But again, more than all this other stuff, back to where we were, we need to be a church that has love, has love in our life, that exhibits real and genuine love for each other. Again, do, do people come in here and see, see that we are a loving church, a church that is filled with the love of Christ and love for each other? Unfortunately, and I'll just say this again, a lot of people go to church and they say, well, I don't feel like anybody loves me in that church. And if you're here and you feel that way this morning, I'm sorry, but can I ask you an honest question? Have you demonstrated love towards somebody else in the church? You walk in at 9.59 and you leave at 11.31? Never take time to talk to someone or share? Again, I'm not getting on to you. If you came in at 9.59, I didn't see you, so you're forgiven. Maybe you have to leave right after church, and that's fine. But again, we, we do that. We, well, nobody talks to me at the church, and, and you never give them a chance to. But again, who have you talked to? Who have you demonstrated love to? It's not just that it flows from everybody else to you, but it must also flow from you to everyone else. We put on these virtues listed in verse 12. We put on forgiveness, patience, love, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. We pursue these virtues in our life. The result is that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. And again, as we've already mentioned, he speaks of being called in one body. And this, this indicates that this is more than just individual peace, but it's also a corporate peace that should permeate the church as a whole. Peace here is not the inward individual peace of mind, but it is a peace that characterizes the community, the body, as a whole. 
word is out, the phrase is out. I need to go to my safe space, my safe place. I need to go to this place where I feel. Can I say, maybe that's your your man cave or your what is it, she shed, whatever it might be. That may be fine. Maybe that's your safe spot, your happy spot. But I hope your safe space is also right here in this church where you can come and you can feel the peace of God flooding your heart where you go and you know that that there are all these bills and there's all this mess at your house and, and work is all this problem. But at least for an hour and a half, I can come and feel the peace of God in my life. Why do we put on these virtues? We do because we're wholly chosen. Beloved, what are we put on? We put on humility, patience, love, meekness, kindness, so on and so forth. Finally, how? How do we put on these virtues? Again, I'm not going through who, what, when, where, why, and how. We just get three out of five. Come back next week. Last two verses tell us how, how we put on these virtues how this new life gets put into practice. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. Thankfulness in your hearts to God. The first thing is that we let the word of Christ or the message about Christ dwell in us richly abundantly, opulently, overflowing with the word of Christ, the good news, the gospel message. This must resound and dwell in our lives in an abundant fashion. Paul urges us to put the, Paul urges the church, I should say, to put the message about Christ at the very center of its worship experience. And it is my desire each and every week as you come, that you have heard at least one time the good news that God loves you and sent His Son to die for your sins. If we do not proclaim that, then we are really no different than, than some other self-help talk. This is a message you need to hear over and over and over again. God really loves us, and He gave His Son as a propitiation, as a ransom, as a sacrifice for us, and there is forgiveness for you. This message dwells in us richly. It dwells in us, notice, also as we teach and admonish each other. Not just me on my own, memorizing verses on my own. It says we teach and we share with each other. The corporate body, the church gathered together, sharing the message about Christ, sharing the good news. God loves you and died for your sins. Teaching and admonishing each other. Don't worry, it doesn't mean you have to come up here, all right? But maybe when someone is sharing with you about a problem or burden that they're carrying in your life, Maybe you just put the word about Christ in their heart and say, you know what? God loves you. It's enough to know that you're forgiven. It's enough to know that your sins are gone. Sharing this message with each other, but not just teaching and admonishing. We also sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
Songs, again, that point us to this reality of who God is and what He has done in our lives. So since I'm issuing challenges here this morning, I've got one more. And that is this, sing. Sing when we sing. Sing loud. Please sing loud, because otherwise you have to hear me. Sing. I can't read the words. Well, how do I say this nicely? Move up. Buy some glasses if you need them. That guys in our church are kind of getting hard to read things, and it's like, buy a pair of glasses. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's coming from a guy who's wearing them ever since I was 13, so and I'm blind as a bat. See, the key's too high. Well, okay, well, well, we'll try to adapt, okay? We'll tell Bonnie. We'll say, hey, I love that song, but it's way too high for me. And if you're me, she'll say, so what? I don't want to hear you sing anyway. No. We'll try to adapt. We, we want to hear you sing. It blesses us when we hear each other sing the songs of Zion. That's why we sing together. We are not a show. This is not a, a Faith Alive worship band coming in a concert near you. No, this is so that we can remind each other of what Christ has done. The little song says, I love to tell this story. Unseen things above of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. Because I know it's true, it satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story will will be my theme and glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in sings of glory I sing the new, new song, it will be that old, old story. Maybe you don't know that song. Here's a little newer one you should know. One day when heaven was filled with its praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelled among men. My example is he, the word became flesh, light shined among us, his glory revealed living. He loved me dying. He saved me buried. He carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day. Glorious day. Maybe you don't even know that song. Here's a brand new song probably within the last five years. How great the chasm lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night, then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. Work is finished. The end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy while heart could fathom such boundless grace? A God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, yours forever, Jesus Christ. My living hope. These songs, when we sing them together, 
We sing that chorus, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. And when the church joins together and sing, I can only imagine the angels put down their harps and their voices and they hear a song that they will never understand. We sing, the word of Christ dwells in us. All of a sudden, that person who's sitting in the pew next to me, it's a little bit harder to be mad at them. It's a little bit harder to want to get out of here so I can be first in line at the buffet. I think I want to exhibit this life. And let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching, admonishing, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Finally, verse 17, whatever you do, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of Christ. Eat, sleep, drink, have fun. Do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Person of Jesus was everything to this church, and because of his grace, all of life was to be a contribution to him. His authority and reputation concerned him. They were to do nothing apart from his direction, approval, and purposes. Living in accord with his name means living in harmony with his revealed will and the subjection to his authority and dependence on his power. Life is to be lived to the glory of God. How do we do that? All I'm doing is filing reports at my job all day. Yeah, but you refile them. You file them with a joy in your heart. You file them being honest and upright. As you encounter someone, even if it is your brother or your mean sister who used to pick on you all the time, you do it with love in our hearts. Man, you do it with the patience and the kindness that, that demonstrates. It demonstrates, you know what? My life is different. My life has been changed. I want you to notice something as I finish here this morning. Verses 15, verse 16, and verse 17. All have these words. Verse 15, and be thankful. Be thankful. Verse 16, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. You think the Apostle Paul wants you to get something through your thick head? My thick head, sorry, not you guys. Perhaps we should be a lot more thankful than what we are. Maybe thankfulness really does undergird all of these things. If we would just live with a heart of gratitude that says, I am so thankful for what God has done and how good God has been and how great His mercy has been in my life. I'm so thankful that the Lord saved me. If it had not been for Jesus, where would I be? I am so thankful that the Lord Save me. I think it actually says I'm so glad, but whatever. It's my new song. I'll copyright it. Be thankful. 
Put on peace of Christ and be thankful. What if we got up tomorrow or next Sunday and said, you know what, I am glad I get to go to church and be with those people. I'm glad I get to worship with them. Matters to me when so-and-so is there. Matters to me when I see so-and-so. Grateful for them. Grateful that I can come and sing together these beautiful songs. I'm, I'm grateful that we can hear the Word of God. I'm grateful that God has given me my loved ones and my family. Let me be a light to them. See, if we are risen with Christ, there's a new way to live. Not just with ourselves, but also with each other. We should live in a way where these characteristics, these virtues shine through our lives. Do I do it perfectly? No. No, of course not. Do I get impatient? Yes. Do I get a little prideful, I do, and then Mary slaps me down. So you can be glad for that. Do I forgive like I ought to? No. But I want to. I pray God come and change my life, and as I get His Word into my life, as, I, as the Spirit comes in, it begins to renew and change me. Suddenly I find myself demonstrating less of my selfish tendencies and more, more of his love and his grace. It demonstrates and it makes a difference to everyone else. Pray that God would do that in your heart and in your life today. And maybe you're here and you haven't really been speaking to your spouse. You kind of drove to church and that five-minute drive turned into five hours because coldness in the car. Maybe God can give you forgiveness. Maybe you're ready to go home and lock that kid in the room and never let him out till they're 18. Maybe God can give you patience. Maybe God can change and demonstrate his love in your life. It can zip, pass on and move on to others. Amen. Let's pray this morning, shall we? Lord, we come here, come as a group of individuals, as a group of people that are far from perfect. We mess up, we fall short over and over and over again. But God, help us. Help us as individuals to begin daily to put on these virtues, these characteristics. To have hearts of compassion. To have humility and patience, kindness to each other. Help us to have hearts of forgiveness, I pray. And Lord, help it not to just be an individual thing, but rather let it be a corporate thing. Again, that this church would be exhibited by these characteristics. God, there are corporations, there's Chick-fil-A and all these other places that, that try to 
try to exhibit these characteristics that make you think that you're special when you come in there, how much more should the church of Jesus Christ, who's not looking for gain, who's not looking for profit, but simply trying to point people to Jesus, how much more should we exhibit these things? Help us to do that, I pray. Lord, help us again to make it a priority to get your word into our lives, the message of Christ into our lives. Reading the scriptures, the regular coming together and hearing the scriptures taught and preached. The singing the songs that reinforce the truth of the gospel message into our lives. Lord, help us to be grateful, to be thankful, to be grateful for what you have done.